following sermon was recorded during the Sunday morning gathering of Grace Community Church in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We are a group of Christians that exists to joyfully extol and magnify the true and living God, to faithfully proclaim the Christ-centered word, to build each other up by speaking the truth in love, and to bring the good news of the gospel to our city and world, so that the Lamb who was slain may receive the full reward for his sufferings. For more information about us, please visit gcclascruces.com. morning. What a blessing it is to be with you this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles in hand, this beautiful gift that we have, being able to hold it, and turn to Matthew chapter 12. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 33 through 37. A tree is known by its fruits. Matthew chapter 12, this beautiful gospel. We're going to begin this morning by reading from verse 22 through 37, just to get a little bit of context of what has brought us to this very point. And so I invite you with great joy to hear the words of our living God from Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in his age or in the age to come. And coming to our text here. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the word of God is filled with passages that point to the reality of the importance of our speech. Many 
passages or verses, we'll call it the tongue, talking about the mouth. Passages that point to the power of speech, like Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. There's passages that point to the responsibility of those who speak. Proverbs 21.23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. There's responsibility. There's passages that speak to the revealing nature of the tongue. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fools pours out folly. Our passage today does just that. It points out that the hearts are what comes forth then in the mouth. What is happening in our hearts is what pours out in our mouths. Our mouths speak what fills the heart. Our text points us to a painful yet necessary reality. Believe it or not, we don't really live in some kind of internal strife or dichotomy where our hearts are one way and our speech is another. We may try to live this way. We may try to speak well while there's death and corruption inside. Eventually, though, the facade, this outer man that you try to present, will be broken. The truth will come out. Reality will be presented. Anger, lies, deceit, slander, and general evil will just pour forth if that's what is indeed inside the man. We live in a world today that has placed so much on speech, and in a way they have observed rightly. Speech does tell you a lot about what's in a person. It tells you a lot about what they think or feel. It says who the person really is. The sad reality is our society has kind of messed it up. They've mixed it up on what is truth and what's important and what's morally right and good. They are thinking that not affirming is somehow hatred when the reality is that not affirming certain things that do not go with biblical truth is indeed love. But needless to say, the truth is our speech says a lot about who we are. It tells us what's really going on internally. As we look at our passage today, we are going to see Jesus speaking clearly to this very matter. He's going to give an illustration and then dive into the hearts of the Pharisees. And then he's going to turn and look upon all of mankind, speaking to each and every one of us. Before we dive into our text, I invite you to see our four points for this morning. Our first point will come from verse 33, the profitable evaluation. Our second point will come from the beginning of verse 34, or as I put it, 34a, the perfect example, or some might call it the pitiful example. Verse 34b through 35 will give us our next point, the painful expansion. And finally, verses 36 and 37, our final point, the promised ending. So as we dive into our texts, let's get a little look at where we are. Jesus is coming out of just condemning the Pharisees in a pretty harsh 
way, as we saw earlier. They have questioned where he comes from. They have said, it is only by Beelzebul, Satan, evil, that he is able to cast out these evil spirits, that he's able to cast out the demons. And Jesus turns to them and says, every kingdom that is divided will fall. In a sense, Jesus begins to ask the question, who am I? Am I evil or am I good? Is my work from God or from Satan? Are the works I perform good works or evil works? And to pose this question then, even further, Jesus uses the short parable that starts our text. Let us look at our first verse here, verse 33, the profitable evaluation. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. We see that he starts off with two options that are going to be laid before the hearer. There's either one or the other, either good or bad. He says, make the tree good and its fruit good. The Greek word here, poeo, for make, does not equal creation of a tree, but rather a proverbial style or figurative sense. We see this frequently in speech. Someone could use make literally, saying, I made a clay pot, or they can mean it figuratively, as I made up my mind. It's a sense of speech. It's something where they've considered or evaluated or decided upon. And so Christ, in a sense, is saying to the Pharisees, make up your minds. Make a decision. Where do you think I am? Obviously, Christ knows the reality, right? He says, make the tree good and its fruit good. He is good. The tree is either good or it's not, and you will know by its fruit. Fruit that comes from a good tree will be good. Relating this to Christ's work, he is saying, well, is what I have done good? I have relieved this man of this awful oppression by a demon that has left him blind and mute. He is able to see and to speak. If so, then, if this is a good thing, I must be good. He says, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree that is bad will be known by its fruit. If a tree is rotten or dying or uncared for, if you find any fruit at all on it, will frequently not be edible. It's not good. It's not even pleasing to the eye. It's rotten. And he says, for the tree is known by its fruit. So you have two options. Either it's good or it's bad. Either the tree is good and its fruit's good, or the tree is bad and its fruit's bad. And he says, for a tree will be known by what it produces, by the fruit. Just by looking at a tree, for those of you that have ever looked at trees, which I hope you have, I know it's hard out here, right? Our desert land doesn't give a lot of fruit trees. But he says, you'll know a lot about a tree based on what you see. Just looking at a tree, you can tell what kind of tree it is. You can tell if it's an apple tree or a cherry tree. The fruit tells you a lot. It shows you whether the tree is underwatered or overwatered. It'll tell you whether the tree has been overtaken by insects and fungus and all kinds of disease. This basic principle that every hearer at this time probably knew lays, tr lays truthful both for physical trees and for man. 
You know a tree by its fruit, and you know a man by his fruit. You know a man by his works, what he has done. Now this is not to say, obviously, that works in any way save the person. This is simply to say that what has happened inside should be showing externally in their speech and in their works. Friends, Jesus lays out lays it out as he combats the Pharisees and he addresses the reality of the necessity for all mankind to understand a tree is known by its fruit. The Pharisees had been filled with all sorts of rot as they systematically legalized the covenant. They had been given this beautiful gift in the covenant with God, in the law. And yet they had taken it and they had broken it down into such a way that it had become a burden and not a blessing. They had laid burdens on the people and had lost sight of the very basis for that law, the whole reason for the law. And in so doing, they had led many astray. And they themselves had become bad trees with bad fruit, rotten fruit. Christ says you will know the tree by its fruit, by what it produces or what it doesn't produce. This short parable helps to draw the hearer in and yet doesn't say anything that doesn't ring true, right? It's not like there's some grand insights that we should gain where it's like, wow, I didn't realize that a good tree would produce good fruit. But then he takes this now and he expands upon it and he calls out the Pharisees directly. Let's turn our attention to the beginning of verse 34 with our next point, the perfect example or the pitiful example. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? We've heard this saying before, you brood of vipers. Matthew 3, 7, once again, talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Later on in Matthew 23, when he's saying his woes upon the Pharisees, he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Notice both times he is, in a sense, condemning them. He is telling them very clearly where they stand. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The wrath that will be upon your heads. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Which is where you are headed. Jesus comes in with this powerful prosecution of the Pharisees. By calling them a brood of vipers. Vipers at this time would, would have been this poisonous snakes. It's a, it's a general term for poisonous snakes that were common to the area. Remember, we see this in Acts 28. Paul gets bit by one, right? He says, uh, Acts 28, 3-6, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fi- uh, fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or to suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case, right? 
but the Lord definitely did bless him. Vipers are both deadly and sneaky. They hide under rocks. They hide in piles of wood and attack suddenly without warning, without provocation. And he calls them a brood, a gathering of eggs or hatchlings. It's as if he's saying, you're this hatchlings of evil. You're this gathering of newborn evil ones. These Pharisees were like a brood of vipers, a gathering of poisonous snakes, deceptive and sneaky, hiding when it was appropriate and attacking when they could. Going from town to town and place to place, leading people away from God and into their legalism, into their false teachings. Having hatched from evil and spreading out freely to anyone who would follow or listen. Striking and injecting their poison. Causing people to give and give, but never hear the truth that they are only saved by faith. As we see throughout the Old Testament, even in the law. And he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? The brood of vipers is clearly evil. They're bad trees producing bad fruit. Jesus makes it clear. He points out the depravity of the Pharisees. And this is sadly the depravity of all men. Because of who you are in your very core, how can you speak good? Now, obviously, we don't know what exactly Jesus had in mind, but I'm sure that these words come to him as the scriptures are from him, right? Psalms 14 and uh, 53 and Romans 3, he says in Psalm 14, as it is, or sorry, in Romans 3, but this is echoing Psalm 14 and 53, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And we know who does good, right? Mark chapter 10 and verse 18. Jesus says, and he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, the evil man is always evil and speaks only that which is evil. A bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. And therefore, the bad tree that is the Pharisees, is not going to produce anything that is good. There can be no good speech. There can be no good actions. There can be nothing that is truly righteous about them. Nothing good pours out from them. Well, friends, that's easy because when we read through the text and we see the Pharisees sitting from our comforts and belief in Christ, if you are a believer here, Knowing the freedom maybe that you have in Christ, we can look and we can almost echo the Pharisees in saying the exact same words that we see in Luke 18. I'm thankful I am not like them. You just stop right there and you say, how can you speak good when you were evil? And you think to yourself, Whew, I'm glad I am not like that. And we find ourselves trapped in the same pattern that the Pharisees were. And that's why I think Jesus doesn't stop he doesn't take the message just to the Pharisees and say, Here, Pharisees, do better. Hear the truth. Believe in the one who can save. He uses them as this premier, pitiful example and then turns outward to something that applies to everyone. 
For everyone has a heart, good or evil. And from it we see what flows, right? Our speech. Let's turn to our third point this morning. The painful expansion. Verses 34b and 35. The rest of 34 and then 35. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Here is a standard that has been set forth by scriptures in regards to man. The heart is the core of man. And the mouth speaks that which is in the heart. He says, for out of the abundance. The Greek word here is like an excess or what spills over. You think of a cup and you are pouring water and as the water spills over, that's the abundance or the excess. And Jesus, in effect, is speaking to that which overflows from the heart and is saying, this is what comes out in your speech. So the question then points to you and to me. What is filling within the heart? And that will be shown then by the mouth. As I said, the heart is this inner man, right? It's the center. We can say this is where the true man lies. It's, it is the man. We think of frequently that the heart is being just this organ that's pumping the blood, but scripturally is speaking to the very core. We think of the brain being the core, but it's really the heart. That's where everything resides. That's where the true character, the true person is. The heart tells us everything that we need to know. The heart is the one that is stone and needs to be made into flesh. The heart is the one that is wicked and then pours out evil. It's from within that evil comes out. It's not what's taken in, but it's what comes out. The mouth then becomes simply a tool of the heart in a sense. It's quite simply revealing what is already there. It's an echo. It's a reproduction of what is going on internally. Jesus takes this a step further and doesn't just speak to the Pharisees. He doesn't just say, talking to them, he says, all of mankind, all of us in a way, especially prior to our salvation, would be called a brood of vipers. All of us in a way would be said, Why would you, how can you say anything good? You're evil. But he makes it abundantly clear and he says, For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. It is out of the abundance of what is truly happening internally that we speak. For the Pharisees, it was evil inside. And so what came out was evil. James speaks to this a lot. He says in verse one, or chapter 1 and verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Talk about an apt description of the Pharisees. Talk about an apt description of us if we have not been truly saved. Talk about an apt description of all that have not repented and believed on Christ alone. The tongue deceives the heart and The person's religion is worthless. The Pharisees had just finished speaking evil against Christ. 
And they were then getting the brunt of this message, right? But this doesn't stop there. It applies to us. James chapter 3 and verse 2, he talks about the fact that if a man's tongue is bridled perfectly, then he would be a perfect man. 3.2 says, if a man was able to truly control his tongue, it would mean he was perfect. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. I will say for myself, no, I am not. However, the question still must be asked, well then, what lies inside? We so frequently make excuses for our speech. I'm sure all of you have had at least one argument in your life. Whether that was with a family member or a spouse or sometimes even with your children. And things are said, hurtful things at times. Things that even to call to mind to bring back tears to ourselves. To ourselves whether it was things that we said or things that the other person said. But what is our response so frequently after a heated argument where we say something so foolish? We say, I didn't mean to say that. I was just upset. I was just mad. I didn't really mean it. Oops. That was wrong of me to have said. However, the reality is, is what you said was just overflowing from what was already inside. We think that it's simply just cutting off the tongue and not saying the wrong thing, but that's only a part of it. There's a sense in which our speech reflects what's already there. And so to say, I didn't mean it, almost is disingenuous of us. Because it's not admitting the reality that our hearts are still flawed. Our hearts are still in need of sanctification. Our hearts, as unbelievers, are wicked. But our hearts as believers are still needing to purge out the filth, the muck and the mire that corrupts and kind of taints everything. Notice this next part in verse 35. He says, The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. We kind of get these two statements, right? He said, good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. And now he says, good person, good treasure, good. Evil person, evil treasure, evil. Treasure. The Greek word is where we get thesaurus. A storing up of words, right? Right? A storehouse, it's a a place where precious things are kept. It's also used as a casket or a coffer. What an interesting thing to think of a treasure being both something precious and beautiful and then also something that holds death and bodies that are decomposing. A man's heart is truly that, right? It's a place where precious things are kept. They're either filled with glorious, beautiful, precious things, or they're filled with death and corruption. But either way, the heart holds that which is his true desire. It holds his love, his ambition, his views, 
his thoughts. The heart is a man's treasury then becomes a place that overflows and spills forth what is really there. The treasury of either Christ and the love that comes from him or the treasury of evil and the filth that comes forward from it. What is important will be shown then in their speech. The saying becomes almost self-explanatory, right? Similarly to earlier, he says, a good tree will bring good fruit. He says, well, a good person will bring forth good. If they have a good treasure, they'll speak well. And it's not eloquence, it's not beauty of speech, it's not using the most prestigious of words or the most glorious of words, but rather thoughts and speech that are glorifying to God. And if a person has evil treasure, then they will bring forth evil speech, evil actions, evil thoughts. Our sorry excuses for our speech are really just not admitting then the truth. Not saying that we need more and more and more of Christ. We need more and more of His gloriousness to penetrate our hearts and to purge out all of the wickedness that remains. If you're a believer, all the more your need for the Spirit to work within you. And if you are not a believer, then your own sinfulness needing to be repented of. To remove that evil which inhabits your heart. I want to be clear again here in saying that we are not saved by how perfectly we speak. It's not enough just to bridle the tongue and never to, or to attempt to never say anything wrong. But I am echoing Christ and saying, let our speech reveal to us our need for him. Our need for continued growth in him. Let us not be deceived into thinking it is fine and well that we just continue to let something slip out once in a while. And then say, sorry, didn't mean that. Sorry, Lord, I I didn't mean to do that. But rather, let us seek the Lord and ask that he reveal within us and remove that which brings us back to this point again and again. Especially as we know that the coming judgment will appear for all of us. Let's turn our attention to our final point here, the promised ending in verses 36 and 37. Notice how we end here. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I tell you, on the day of judgment. He's pointing to this future time when the Lord will judge every man, and he will evaluate who they belong to. Do they belong to him? Do they belong to the Lord, or have they been deceived? Are they counted amongst the elect, amongst those that have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone? Or are they not? And shall they be cast out into eternal punishment? The reality is is that we will all hear this. All of us will stand before the Lord. Judgment will come. There is a future judgment 
that so much of us will, we tend to even not even want to think about it. Our society tells us, don't think too much about the future. Or if they do, they say, it's all coming to a horrible, horrific end. And they have no clue of the reality of what they're speaking. They're concerned with a world that seems to be turning downhill. They're concerned with climates that are changing and natural disasters. They're concerned with all of the evils that seem to perpetuate in this world. Wars and famines. And amen, those things are all awful. All of those things are sad. But the saddest part of it all is that's not the end. You think that is bad, and then you say, but you are going to stand before a holy, perfect, righteous judge. And he will lay down the truth before you. He will evaluate you. We all will die, and we will all be judged. This is not to say that we should not be concerned with Things that are going on. This doesn't mean that you should just go ahead and start throwing your trash on the ground and leaving it for the earth to figure out. But it is to say there's so much more that we should be concerned with. Our eternal souls. You have, Lord willing, 80, 90 years here on this earth. Maybe more, maybe less. And then you have eternity. Where will you end up? Where will you be? There will be a day of judgment. The scriptures desire that this reality is on our minds. To prepare us for the day when we go before him. If you turn to Matthew chapter 25, I'd just like to hit that home a little bit. Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Many of you have, I'm sure, heard this, but I invite you to hear it again with fresh ears and fresh eyes to see. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for all of us, or for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And listen to this final verse here. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Scripture leaves us with a variety of reminders that this judgment will come. We talked about this previously when we had looked at Matthew chapter 7. Remember, he talks about saying, I never knew you. Verse 21, now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, echoing the same kind of words that we see in Matthew 25, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. On this judgment day, we will all come to it. And every person will be called to give an account for their careless words they speak. The Greek word here for careless being idle, slow, barren, empty. Every casual, thoughtless word that we speak will be brought forward and accounted for. Some have argued that this literally only applies to words that were empty and had no substance. If this is the case, well, we will all fall before an almighty God. Have we not all spoken empty words? Have we not all promised to do things that we did not do? Have we not all spoken hastily without thought or without true consideration for what we are saying? Friends, whether it's every word that, we, that will be brought forward or only those empty ones, we will all fall before the perfect, holy God. And he closes out verse 37 by saying, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Before we move forward, I want to make it clear. There is nothing that you can say alone that will save you. It is by faith alone that we are justified. This is what the Bible teaches, and this is what we are called to believe. So let us not be confused into thinking that him, by the Lord Jesus saying, for by your words you will be justified. He is saying something to the effect of, just say you believe and you are saved. It's not simply a, a profession, but rather there has to be a change of the heart. It's this view of, of confession without conversion, Right? So what is Jesus talking about then? Is he talking about the profession of faith? Well, it's doubtful. For we know that simply saying the prayer or simply saying, sure, yeah, I can believe that is not enough. That does not save you. Anyone can claim belief, but that does not equal salvation. We saw that in Matthew 7, 21. All of those people who say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? would have said, I believe. They would have said, yes, Jesus. Yes, I believe in him. But he says, not all of them will enter into the kingdom. Not all of them are truly saved because they have not done the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's possible for us to say lots of things without meaning them. Because the reality is, is as we talked about our hearts are deceitful and our mouths then speak that deceit, right? We're just talking about careless words being spoken and this is exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is once again looking into the heart and he's not saying that the words make the man holy. He is not saying that the words are what save him, but rather that the words reveal the justification that has happened in the man. They rather show forth what has already occurred in the man's heart. 
Our speech is truly the reflection of what is going on inside. Your words reveal a lot about you. They reveal the truth of where you are. They will reveal if you are indeed justified, if you are truly saved by faith alone. And your words, friends, will reveal if you will be condemned, if you are not truly saved. So as we come to a close, I invite you to consider just a few things. First, what does your speech say about you? Does it confirm that you are indeed a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, or does it condemn you with the reality that you are not? Are you unsure? If you're unsure, that can be a little bit of a scary place to be. A few things that come to mind as we consider that reality is the fact that the Lord frequently calls throughout the scriptures for us to evaluate ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed fail to meet the test. We must regularly examine ourselves. We must regularly go before the Lord in prayer and seek his face and ask him, reveal within me if there is anything corrupt and remove it. Reveal with me, if there, reveal within me anything that is not true, any deceit that I may be holding. And the true test really comes when you're under pressure, doesn't it? We see that throughout the scriptures. Testing produces endurance. Testing produces this sense of gold, right? It's pressing it to make it perfect and pure. When everything comes to a head, when you feel like you just can't take it anymore, what flows forth from your mouth? It's not a perfect guide, but it's a good guide to look at. When you're tired and not on your guard anymore, we've been talking for several weeks about guarding the heart. When you're not on your guard anymore, when you've seemed to just stop trying almost, what comes out? Friends, I don't mean to leave you with any sense of lack of assurance. We can be assured that salvation is real and then we can be sure that we are saved. That is a beautiful gift that we can know that we are saved and we can be sure of the salvation that comes through the faithful one, Jesus Christ our Lord. But this is not to say that we should not examine ourselves. This is not to say that we should not seek him and ask, reveal within me any wickedness. Help me to purge it out. Help me to remove it that I might glorify you in all ways. Secondly, I'd like for you to consider, for the believer, if you can honestly say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but my speech is still an area of struggle, I invite you to consider the words of Christ again. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What fills the heart is what pours forth from the mouth. 
The heart reveals where your thoughts are. It reveals your idols. It reveals your sins. It exposes things like your pride and your anger. So then you are left to say, what am I going to fill my heart with? What is it that will overflow from it in my mouth? If I fill it with things of this world, my mouth will pour out things of this world. But if I fill it with the truth of God and the things of God, then my mouth will pour out things of God. Friends, may we, as a body of believers, do just that. It is so easy to get caught up in our world. We, with all of the media and all of the things bombarding us day by day by day, you can't... You can't turn on the radio. You can't listen to music. You can't turn on the TV. You can't do anything without being bombarded by a variety of things trying to draw your attention, trying to draw your mind away, trying to penetrate into the little crevices to find the spot where it can penetrate deeper and deeper and to take over. This is not to say that we can't watch the news or we can't read or hear music but all the more mindful we must be, all the more clear we must be as we do so, all the more we must go before the Father and say, Lord, reveal anything that is not from you, anything that goes against your word. Help me to guard my heart and to guard my mind as I consume these variety of things because many of them can be helpful for us. There's great podcasts out there that are very helpful. There's great um, music out there that can be encouraging. We sing hymns on Sundays that can lift our hearts as we praise our God and King. But let us all the more discard our hearts. Let us examine ourselves looking to our speech as a friendly reminder of where we really are. For one day we will stand before a holy God and we will be called to give an account. May it be found amongst us that our words continue to grow, not in evil and wickedness, but in praises and thanksgivings unto the Lord. For he indeed is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor. Amen. Let us close in prayer.